Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Business Leaders Radio. Now, here's your host, John Ray. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Business Leaders Radio. I'm John Ray, and this is one I've been looking forward to, someone that uh, uh, is a uh, an authority in his field, Michael Katz. He's with Blue Penguin Development. Michael, welcome. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Let's talk about you and Blue Penguin Development. How are you serving folks out there? So I'm a, generically a marketing consultant. I work by myself, and uh, my specialty is email newsletters. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. Not what folks were thinking when I announced Blue Penguin Development, but I'd love it if you would uh, maybe tell that story uh, on why that name. Sure. So um, like most of my best uh, accomplishments, it was a complete accident. Um, I started my business in 2000, and I was going to call it michaelkatz.com, which in 2000.com was like the hot thing. And so I thought, oh, let me, and my, what I was going to do before I discovered newsletters was I was going to help companies kind of move into the dot-com world, which again, was a confusing time and all that. And so it just seemed very appropriate. But after about a week, I remember like mocking up a business card and getting my website. I was like sick of my own name. It was everywhere because it was my URL and it was on my business card. And so I didn't want to do that. And then I really had this insight. Because at this point, I had never worked for myself. I'd always had a job. And it suddenly hit me that I can do whatever I want. And it, it was really sort of very freeing because, you know, previously, anything you wanted to do, you needed approval and all that kind of stuff. And so I just started thinking, oh, yeah, I kind of like penguins. I, I, I just fell into it. But um, it's been really good as a branding thing because the defaults for people like me a professional service provider is to either name it after myself, you know, cats and associates, or to give it some name like marketing impl- implementation solutions or something, which is fine, but nobody remembers it, but you, and you'd still just say, Oh, it's Michael. The blue penguin thing is very memorable. Uh, no exaggeration. Half of my clients without my ever having invited them, just like call me penguin, just <laughs> silly. But it, it kind of works in my world because I, I sort of traffic in irreverent writing stuff. But it's also very sticky. People remember it. And so uh, it's turned out to be a good brand thing, even though I wasn't planning on it at all. And, folks, I was kidding, Michael, before we came on that, you know, Seth Godin wanted Blue Penguin, but it was taken. And guess what? That's how the Purple Cow came about. So, you, the, all, right. you can blame right. Michael Katz for that. So, uh, he, he's, he's always stealing my best stuff too. Yeah. I mean, what is it with that guy? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, but I wanted you to tell that story because that really leads into, you don't just do email newsletters. You do email newsletters specifically for a particular niche. And that is, uh, the niche you actually, uh, occupy is your own occupation, right? Um, uh, solo professionals and professional services firms. Yes. So um, when I first started doing newsletters, I would do them for anyone. And I had like huge clients because I you know, like Comcast or Harvard, you know, and that was fine. 
But um, my real sweet spot, and I know we're going to talk about this, is professional service providers, financial planners, consultants, recruiters, leadership coaches, freelance writers, um, and small ones. My biggest client now, I think maybe they have 15 people. Um, my sort of rule is, and so 15 down to, to individuals, um, whoever started the firm is still running it. And there's nobody with the word marketing in their title yet. I mean, they, they may have 15 people, but it's essentially a group of professional service providers. And I like working with them for a couple of reasons. One is there's no bureaucracy. There's no got to check with legal kind of stuff, which I sort of got tired of. Um, but the other thing is the people I mentioned, the problem they have is that they look exactly like their competition. Like every financial planner is selling the same thing, every real estate broker, every account. And so it's a problem because in the world of marketing and differentiation, especially since none of these people have marketing budgets to speak of, how do you separate yourself and stand out? And so as we'll talk about, the email newsletter in particular, and my approach overall, is really kind of a dead-on center hit for these kinds of people. And yes, I'm one of them. Like if if I just, you know, I'm a marketing consultant, so what? There's a million of them. Mm-hmm. So standing out matters. And so it's just kind of a good match. So that's all I do now. Like you have to be, you can't sell stuff like sneakers and you got to be small. So you can speak to this. You've got a niche. Why is having a niche so important? Um, so this is number two of things I discovered accidentally, <laughs> which have made it. Curious. So when I started out, I was going to do a sort of marketing. Okay. I was a marketing guy, whatever. And I never worked for myself before. And that first like six months or so, I spent a lot of time just trying to talk to people who'd been successful as freelancers. And so I was just kind of networking with people. And I remember I spoke to this woman. She didn't even really want to talk to me, but she was referred by a friend. So she kind of felt obligated. And I remember like sitting in my car, talking on the phone, and she only talked to me for about 10 minutes. But she said something which, when I look back on my notes, I found them like two years later. I thought, oh. That's where I got it from. She said, people want to hire experts. You need to become the leading expert in something. And I was like, mm, that's good. And so um, the interesting thing about a niche is, and, and this is what's it's so counterintuitive, is you kind of have to be narrow. Like, I can't be the best marketing consultant on earth. I'm the only e-newsletter consultant you've ever heard of. So because I occupy such a small amount of real estate, even if I'm not the best, although it turns out I am, it's really hard for anyone to, to go elsewhere. I'm, I'm at least on the short list. Like if you're going to do a newsletter and you're a professional service provider and you hear about me, you're going to talk to me. If I said marketing consultant, maybe, but I'd get my fair share, but like I want my unfair share. And so I'm kind of gaming the system because when someone says, what do you do? I say email newsletter. Yes, I do other stuff. But if I said that, then when someone says, hey, what's Michael do? You go, I don't know, marketing consultant. So it's been really good to be narrow, even though it feels scary because it feels like you're limiting your options. But it's it's not a lottery. It's not like how many tickets are you holding? The way you get hired is somebody goes, do you know anybody who does newsletters? And they go, oh, yeah, this guy over here. And so my business is all about someone sends somebody to me. Um, so it's been good to be narrow. So 
let's talk about, I guess, the not just newsletters, but just the big mistakes that professionals make as they market themselves. I mean, you've mentioned one that I would think you would talk about, which is, you know, just not niching enough, but what are some others? Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're kind of all related. Okay. So, I mean, the people I work with are like really smart, really experienced, really good at what they do, whether they're consultants or coaches or whatever, but most of them, um, no one's ever taught them any marketing. Like, you know, there's no marketing classes in law school or medical school. So, but now they're in the position of having to generate business. They need clients. And so uh, they do what makes perfect logical sense, but it doesn't really work very well, which is they try and differentiate based on capability and experience. So if you ask the typical, again, you run, you know, I'm in these networking groups and you talk to a management consultant, then I say, you know, if I were to say, what makes you different, which I love asking clients, you get something like, well, I've got this, these degrees, or I've been doing this for 15 years, or I've got this you know, six-star system I invented, all fine. The problem is, it's no different than everybody else. It's the same. I mean, the truth is, the more credential requiring your industry, the harder it is to stand out. Like every accountant is a CPA, and every financial planner is certified and every doctor hopefully went to medical school. So although it, it, it puts you into the club, everybody in it's got the same degree. So the truth is it's more risky to hire me because anyone can say they're a marketing consultant than to go and hire a financial planner because they're so ho- overly regulated. So it means if you want to stand out from the other financial planners, you're not going to do it by, by some incremental nuanced difference. You need to do something that's fundamentally different. In fact, let me tell you a quick story, uh, which Please. does relate. Um, like 10 years ago, I had knee surgery. And afterwards, the doctor said, okay, to rehab, you got to go to the gym and get on an elliptical machine. Like you can't run for a while. You got to get on an elliptical machine because there's no impact. So I go to the gym and I'd never, you know, never used an elliptical machine. And I go over and I see they have like four different kinds. So I go to the front desk and there's a guy like this big young muscle guy with like this little flimsy t-shirt, <laughs> like reading a magazine. And I go over to him, you know, excuse me, large man, uh, which is the best elliptical machine to use? And the guy said something to me, which I think was the best bit of marketing advice I've ever heard all without like looking up from his magazine. He says, uh, whichever one you'll stay on the longest. Oh, wow. So the point was, they're all the same. What matters is the one you'll stay on the longest, you'll get the greatest effect. And I think it's true with marketing as well, that you need to find tactics that you don't hate because the tactics themselves, there's some differences. And again, there's differences between this accountant and that accountant, but these nuanced differences, they're, they're lost on the people who are considering hiring you. They don't understand. And, and the truth is, Every accountant's good enough, you know, who matters. So, yeah, you have to be good. But you can't differentiate from all the other good accountants or doctors or whatever by telling me your capabilities, things like being narrow. Like I have a client who's a financial planner who specializes in single women. Um, my wife is an independent college counselor 
who special, but she's an occupational therapist by trade. She specializes in kids with a learning difference, ADD, Asperger's, dyslexia. So as soon as you hear that, your brain switches to, oh, I know someone like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting thing. Again, it's very counterintuitive because you feel like you're narrowing your focus, but you can't differentiate on capability, experience, credentials, because everybody's got them. Folks, we're chatting with Michael Katz on uh, Business Leaders Radio. Michael is with Blue Penguin Development. Uh, so, Michael, we hear a whole lot out there about uh, storytelling and why we should be storytellers. Talk about that from your point of view. Yeah, sure. So, um, if you're a small company, but even if you're larger, um, the benefit of stories is that it, well, two things. One is they catch people's attention. Like, you'll remember the story about the guy at the gym. Whereas a lot of other stuff I've said, yeah, it just kind of floats by. You're like, humans are hardwired to listen to stories and to remember them. So when you talk about something, like, I never give a public presentation ever without, I always begin with a story that seemingly has nothing to do with the presentation. But it's like you can see back in the day when you'd go to live things, you can like see the audience perk up when I go, let me tell you a quick story. It's just like you have to hear what happened. So they're attention getting. So they're very good in podcasts, newsletters, blog posts, that kind of thing, as opposed to just information. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, if you're in a business, again, where the credentials don't differentiate you, what really, again, if you think about, you know, you have no idea where your doctor went to medical school, but you know, do you like him or her or not? And what I found when you sell professional service sort of likability and trust thing, which is very sort of squishy, that's the differentiator. If you think about all these people you hire whose capabilities you can't measure, including like your auto mechanic, you like him. I hate your guy. You like your guy. I hate your doctor. I like my, I mean, it's so funny because it doesn't sound, you know, sort of businessy, but it's how we make these decisions. I don't know if you're a good accountant, but I know if I like you. So when you tell stories, you get people's attention, but you're also revealing a little bit about you. It's funny, like, um, I have this discussion with clients a lot because people are concerned about, uh, should I share my personal information? I mean, if you and I sat down, John, together for coffee and we just started talking business, it would seem kind of rude. Like, it's normal to say, I mean, we did it before we started this. Oh, the weather, or where are you located? Like, that's what people do. Sure. But in a business context, a lot of times people are concerned that they're not going to look professional, whatever that means, so they don't do it. The storytelling stuff, where you reveal stuff about yourself, I mean, not crazy, but enough that people can connect, is very uh, memorable and very compelling to other human beings. Who most That's mostly who hires you. So it's, it's helpful. Yeah. So there's a, there are a lot of options for marketing out there. Uh, that are pretty overwhelming, uh, yeah. you know, why newsletters? And I can hear some folks asking the question right now, come on, Michael, how does a newsletter differentiate me? Because I get tons of newsletters in my inbox yeah. every day. Right. So just on the whole marketing overwhelming, that, that's a real phenomenon. I mean, you know, like 20 years ago, if you worked for yourself, your marketing options, other than like networking in person, was like you'd sponsor the Boy Scouts and you're done. <laughs> like 
what else was there to do? You'd have a brochure that maybe if you updated it once every two years, you were like ahead of the game. Today, the good news is it's essentially unlimited. It's free. The bad news is there's too many options. So no matter what you do, you always feel like I could have done more. So two things. One is like the guy at the gym said, you got to find stuff you don't hate. Like I could talk all day about newsletters, but if you hate writing or you think email's dead or whatever, it's not going to work for you. Um, I also think that you need to find three or four things that you do regularly. Now, yes, you can dabble in all this other stuff, but I have my three or four things that I do no matter what. And then, sure, I'll play with something else. But this way, when I've done my three or four things that I do regularly, I feel like I've done it. And so you have to sort of figure that out. That's like a longer discussion. What are the appropriate things, depending on your audience and what you're selling and all that. But I think you have to reduce it down or you just always feel like I haven't completed it. It's again, if you use the gym analogy, you know, I don't feel any obligation to get on every machine in the gym. Like most of them I've never touched. So what? Same with marketing. Doesn't matter. You don't need to do everything. You just need to do enough of the same things well and that you don't hate. Um, on the email question, it's funny. I get that all the time, of course. And, and newsletters have been a funny thing. I've been doing it like 20 years. When I started newsletters in 2001 or two, when I moved into that, the biggest objection I'd get from potential clients was not enough of their customers had email. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Then in like the late two thousand uh, first late late part of the first decade, I couldn't pick up the phone fast enough. Mm. Email was the thing mm-hmm. on the news. Then social media came. Uh, email's dead. In the last, I'd say even before COVID, I'd say like two or three years, um, there was this resurgence that had already begun and continues. Partly, I think, because there was a question of what's the the ROI really for us on all the social media stuff. Um, Concerns about privacy, what's Facebook doing with our data, all that. And then the one thing I love about email is that nobody owns it. Like if you consider LinkedIn, let's say you market on LinkedIn. Um, you have no idea how LinkedIn's algorithm works, which they put you in front of other people. And they deliberately don't share it. And by the way, if you break a rule on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, they can throw you off. It's like you're, you're playing on somebody else's land. Email is completely decentralized. Nobody owns it. The only, the only filter for me and a, and a reader is whether the reader decides to unsubscribe. So I like that direct connection. I, it's like I own my list. Sure, you can leave. But with Facebook, I can't take anything with me. So that, I mean, and social media is fine, but email, I think, has had this resurgence because of that. And then on the question of sort of nobody reads email anymore, that's not really, I mean, what's funny is, I ignore most movies, most books, most restaurants, most religions, most people. I've got my little group. So the fact that people say I delete a lot of them, I'm like, well, no kidding. Everyone deletes a lot of them. That's the wrong side of the equation. All I want to do is have the people who are interested to stay in front of them. And so, again, another counterintuitive thing is when it comes to marketing, People, these small people think I need to get, you know, in front of everyone, like I'm Coca-Cola. Like Coca-Cola needs 30% of worldwide market share. I don't. I mean, if I got, I was going to say 50, if I got 25 new clients a year, I can't even handle it. 
So I don't care out of the, what, 10 million potential people who could hire me if like 9,900,000 ignore me, hate me, pay no attention. I'm focused on the other people. So it's the same kind of thing. I mean, email is so interesting because people sort of say, oh, no one listens to it or pays attention. And yet, first of all, you can't join a single social media service without an email address. Um, Plus, who hasn't checked email 10 times already? So it's a weird thing, but I've been waiting for it to die for like 10 years. But it's like it keeps cranking along, working great. So anyway, I'm, I'm all about email still. Again, it depends on your audience. But if your audience, I think, is over 35, we're still email people, at least for now. Well, let me tell you a story, if I can. Uh, so sure. so um, I'm, I get this email. Uh, and I subscribe to, to this particular person through an RSS feed. I enjoy reading their post. Mm-hmm. I reach out to that person and invite that person on my show. That person is you. <laughs> so the point is, you know, I've, I've enjoyed reading your stuff and, uh, guess what? You know, I, I, after a while, it's like, I've got to connect with this person. And so that's how, uh, you know, you've ended up on the show because what you do is good. So, I mean, I guess two points out of that. One is it underlines what you just said. Um, and two, um, people will read an email newsletter or your blog if it's good. (laughs) So how do you make it good, right? How do you make it such that your little audience, that audience of 25 a a year that you want to, uh, engage with you, how do you make it so that they engage with you? Well, I cheat. <laughs> well, so two things. Well, actually, just before I explain that one, um, I love that you said that over, you've been listening or reading over time mm-hmm. and then invited me. Timing is an issue with, with, um, with marketing or with advertising. So the thing about advertising is, like, I, I'm not in the market right now for a car. So I don't care how many car ads they are, there are, what, you know, what the deal is. I'm paying zero attention. So your car dealer or your cable company or anybody, they have to advertise over and over and over again, because at any given time, there's only a small slice of the population who's even paying attention. That's the problem. An email newsletter or a blog or a podcast takes timing out of the equation. It's over and over again. It's like exercise. And so I don't need you to call me today. You can call me in a year. My problem, though, is... How do I stay in front of you? Even if I meet someone at a networking meeting, we hit it off and we have lunch and all that. In a year, who's going to remember that? Mm-hmm. Person subscribes to a newsletter. Now I'm in front of them until they call me. So it's really powerful in that way, this repeat thing, which I think is necessary for your marketing. Um, so on the cheating part, <laughs> the focus of the newsletters I do is the people you already know. So when I do a newsletter for a client, And I find like the average middle-aged person knows like 400 people, 500 people. My definition of knows is if you call them up or email them, you wouldn't have to introduce yourself. So, and everyone can be like, oh, when I think of it that way, I could go through the list of all the people on LinkedIn, all the people in my, you know, Gmail account. And I could basically say, I know this person. I don't know her. You know, I don't know who this is. So we create this list. So the newsletter is going to what I think of as the house list. It's your people, you know, it's not just potential clients either. It's your college roommate. 
It's your brother-in-law. It's the guy across the street. The interesting thing, though, is, again, if you're a professional service provider, it's all word of mouth. So even though your college roommate isn't going to hire you, if that person knows what you do and you're top of mind and somebody goes, hey, we need a newsletter, who do you know? They go, oh, that guy. So it's very, again, counterintuitive because it feels non-businessy. But the truth is, with some exceptions, I mean, if you're selling like, you know, chemical manufacturing consulting, I'm not going to refer to you. But for more common professions, it's all word of mouth. Like nobody finds a pediatrician by opening the phone book. You say, who do you know? So you have to be on the who do you know list. And what I found is if you stay in front of these four or 500 people, not by selling anything, like I'm never selling anything in my newsletter. I'm just sharing information, sharing information. And so the reason I say I'm cheating is it's easier to get the attention of these people than a stranger. So sure, you want your list to grow and strangers become friends, become colleagues, clients. But the starting point is just, just stay in front of everyone on earth you know. That's your marketing machine. And for solos, it works fantastically well. When you have a bigger firm, well, now you got 15 people times 500. So now it, it really is a machine. And um, it's amazing how effective it is. And again, I keep waiting for something to replace email newsletters. But I don't know what it is. This thing works and works and works for years. Now, you talked briefly about this earlier uh, Michael, and now I'm, I'm, you know, again, revisiting, you know, what, uh, what do I have in my newsletter, the content of that newsletter? Yeah. And, and you, you, you talked about making it personal storytelling, you know, and I can hear some, uh, services providers, professional services providers saying that's unprofessional. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Right. So I think there's two things to a, to a newsletter. So it has to be useful. Like as much as, and we'll talk, you know, talk about this in a minute, as much as it might be interesting to hear about your dog, I'm not subscribing to your newsletter for the dog. That's the wrapping around the content. So I think of the content as, um, teach me not to need you. And what I mean is, I, so I, I have a client who's you know, one of my longest running clients, like 17 years I've been doing her newsletter, in uh, like a three-person law firm. So every month, she writes about something related to law. She's specialized in contracts. So she might talk about, you know, three things you need to do before you call your attorney, like how to look at a contract and understand it. You'll save money when you call your attorney or, or something related to why you should never sign this on a you know, Tuesday morning, whatever. But the philosophy is it's got to be useful. It's for non-attorneys. She's not writing to her peers. She's writing to me, a small business owner. So it's got to be simple which again is somewhat counterintuitive because people think they need to write something nobody's ever said. No, I don't want to become an attorney. I just want to read something and go, oh, that's interesting. And when I say teach me not to need you, I mean, give me something useful that allows me to go, I just got a piece of law knowledge. So sometimes people think, oh, if I do give them all that information, they'll never hire me. I'm like, we're talking 12 newsletters a year. If you could give away your business with that, you don't have a business. It's enough that I, that I keep coming back because every time I read her newsletter, I learn a little something. And that's true of, you know, a guy across the hall from me is a chiropractor. Actually, he does videos, but he's doing videos on how to get rid of neck pain. Why would I hire him? Well, because there's a limit to how much I can do on my own. So it's useful. In terms of the professional stuff, that's okay. The problem is if it's just information on a contract, well, the truth is I could Google that. 
And, and again, there's no differentiation. But if I wrap that inside a story, like, let me tell you about the time I went to the gym and the big muscle guy told me to do this. It's not businessy. But when I wrap the information inside of that, you remember it. You get to know me a little bit, which matters in professional service because that's the differentiator. And, you know, I would say there's definitely a limit to like, how much do you reveal? But I've almost never, I think I've never had to say to a client, you know, kind of a lot of personal stuff here. It's always the opposite. Mm. You know, I sort of start to train them. Like, tell me a story. People will show up. Oh, I've got a story for this week or this month. Um, but even then, I'm just trying to draw out. It's sort of the amount of information you and I share when we talk about, you know, we don't really know each other, but it's like, oh, yeah, where do you live? Do you have kids? Yeah. So it's sort of that level of stuff. Useful information wrapped inside story. On the whole professionalism thing, I think the you're going to look unprofessional, which, like, you know, like your brother-in-law with the MBA is going to tell you that. <laughs> um, the problem is it's a fake problem. The real problem people like me have is we look like everybody else. So although there is some hypothetical place where you've become, quote, unprofessional, the real existing problem is looking like everyone else. And so you're not unprofessional to say you have kids or what's the weather like where you live. And so that's the level I'm talking about. Uh, but again, people have that fear because, you know, if you think back again, 20 years ago, we didn't reveal all this information about each other. You could work with people for years and know like nothing about them. Today, you know, whether you think it's a good thing or not, there's this expectation that I kind of know about you. I can check you out on Facebook and all that. So that's all we're really doing. Yeah. Uh, Michael Katz is with us, folks. He is the chief penguin, the chief penguin at Blue Penguin Development. You thought you had a great title. You don't have one like Michael. I love that. Uh, Michael, I, 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 this has been great. And I want to get to like how you work with, with, uh, clients. And, uh, I come to you and I say, I need help. How, how does that conversation go? And what are the, maybe the levels of service that you offer? Yeah. Well, so, and you know, I do things beyond newsletters. So that relates to the niche question. I say newsletters, but I do other things. But again, if I didn't say newsletters, you, it would just get muddy. But on the newsletter side, um, I'm involved at different levels. Some people, I literally interview them and then I write it. I mean, I don't bring anything to the table in terms of knowledge. Like I say, my clients are oranges and I'm a juicer, but you can't drink an orange. So they know a ton of stuff. But the goal is how do you convert? How do you chip off a little piece of that and turn it into 800 words that a non-expert human wants to read? So I'm, for whatever reason, I'm good at like pulling it out of them and then writing it. And then they approve it or we change it or whatever. I have other people where same kind of things if they write the first draft and then I still fix it because most people are, most people are actually, if they want, can write something that's like 80% good. I take them over the finish line. I have some people where I just coach them or some firms. I never touch a keyboard. Um, and generally I take care of the whole back end. Because, you know, it's fine if you want to take a look at what MailChimp looks like in the back and post it on your own website. But most people in my world, they want to have like nothing to do with it. So I, I take care of designing it. And, you know, my tech guy sets it up and all that. But the idea is that it's your knowledge, your story. And so my goal is the, the best compliments I ever got from a client was she said, um, 
you like me, you make me look 20 years younger and 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to, um, you know, sort of polish what they, what they look like on their best day in terms of their presentation, but it's all their information. I don't do research. It's all them. That's because again, to me, that's the differentiator. So I would love it, Michael, if you, and obviously you don't have to use names, but uh, if you could talk about someone uh, who you have made look 20 years younger and 20 pounds yeah. lighter, uh, as someone yeah. who's, who's uh, experienced great transformation in their practice, their business because of you. Yeah. Um, my, my, my favorite example is a guy, he's, he just retired. I did his newsletter. I don't know. It must've been 12, 13 years. Um, and he was a CF, he is a, a, a CFO for hire, very numbers oriented guy. And so he said to me, cause he tracked all this, that the newsletter was responsible for 45% of his new business mm. that he could write to it. And that's great because, you know, he knew that because he was doing it, he had more clients. Um, the other thing, just when you say transformation, what's interesting is nobody comes to me because they want to express themselves more or clarify their thinking. They come because they want clients. And if they had enough clients, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But what happens is after people start to publish their thoughts on a regular basis, they, they like the publishing. Because again, if you sell accounting or management consulting, you're selling, you know, time. There's no thing anymore. And this becomes like a nice representation of work, their body of work. Also, because it requires clarification. You can't, I mean, I, I force people to explain stuff to me. Because if you're, I don't care if you're consult. I have a client who consults the drug companies, very technical stuff. But when I say to her, I don't know what you're talking about. It's forced her to get clear on stuff. And what happens is, she now becomes more articulate in her ability to explain her stuff to other people. So people start to really like that. It's like a residual benefit of, of creating content on a regular basis. So it's great. I, I like the client. My favorite clients are the people who say, um, I don't know anything about, I, I don't think about marketing. I hate writing. Cause what happens is over time, they like that we've uncorked their knowledge in a way that sort of is lasting that way. Plus it brings them clients. So it's nice. That's awesome. Awesome work from Michael Katz, folks. Uh, he is with Blue Penguin Development. Michael, this has been great, and I could keep going, but uh, I need to let you go hit send on another newsletter. Um, so let's, uh, let's get to the important question. For those that would like to be in touch and learn more, maybe utilize your services, have a conversation, uh, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, the simplest is just to go to that URL I still own, which is michaelkatz.com. Katz is K-A-T-Z. And uh, I, as you would expect, have a free newsletter on marketing. And if you sign up for that, I'll, I'll send it to you. for the. It's a lifetime commitment. You're not allowed to unsubscribe. So. <laughs> I, lo I love it. Michael Katz, folks, uh, with Blue Penguin Development. Uh, Michael, this has been terrific. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, John. It's been great. Yeah. Uh, folks, just a uh, quick reminder, uh, you can find uh, the archive of this particular show at uh, businessleadersradio.com. You can also find the show in your favorite podcast app. And, uh, you know, we're part of the Business Radio X network. So if you want to go to businessradiox.com and find our complete uh, uh, shows across our 
full network, uh, please do that. Uh, we'd love it uh, if you would uh, let us know if you've got a great guest or uh, you've got feedback on any of our guests. We'd love to hear from you. My email is jray at businessradiox.com. So for my guest, Michael Katz, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Business Leaders Radio.